Are you a sneakerhead? Yeah, boy! A baller? Ballin'. Want to know about the hottest brands you can lace up and run with? Well, get ready, because we got all the details right here. Nice take by James. Oh, he stops! LeBron James puts it down in the face of James Johnson. Kevin Durant way outside. Delivers! Kevin Durant from downtown. It's a six-point game. And it goes off to Kobe. Good to ride Kobe underneath. Puts his nose on the line again. Makes the basket. He's fouled. Oh, what a play. And Kobe, after he was fouled, after the ball nestled in the net, he waved to a cameraman down in front. Says, take my picture, baby. Sixers running the break. Iverson accelerating to the jam. It's kicks and bricks where we got game on the streets, and on the court. Money's gotta be the shoes. Shoes, shoes, shoes. shoes. You sure it's not the shoes? I'm sure, Mars. Money's gotta be the shoes. And here's your host, Jamel Cutler. What's up, what's up? Welcome to a new edition of Kicks and Bricks. Joining me today is one of the best to ever come out of the DMV, my main man, Galant. What's up, brother? How you doing? I'm chilling, man. That's the, uh, yeah, I don't know if I'm, I'm I'm one of the best, but I appreciate that. That's a big compliment. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm curious to know, like, I, like all the DMV artists that I have on, on here so far, I always ask them, like, since you're from the DMV, did Go-Go have like a direct impact on your um, signature sound? That's a great question, first of all. I feel like, um, yeah, maybe indirectly, actually, because it's such a weird uh, genre, you know? Mm-hmm. And and I will say, like, Rich Harrison was my favorite, like, music producer growing up. He did, like, uh, like, Marie, all of her stuff. So it was, like, you know, really drum heavy. And I think he, he did, like, Crazy Love for Beyonce. I think that was his, like, crossover hit. But um, it's, it's definitely, like, a weird sound, you know? So I think a lot of the DMV artists, they kind of put, like, a twist on what's what's popping like it's always like a little bit left i feel like and i think gogo probably did have something subconsciously to do with it i think that's actually that's a good observation actually i didn't think about that um which part of the dmv are you from i'm from i'm from the m so i'm from i'm from maryland but i'm not i'm from like there was like a joke where i'm from of people saying like oh i'm from dc and they're not they're actually from like suburban maryland or like saying, oh, I'm from Baltimore, but they're actually from like outside of the city. But I'm from uh, Howard County, which is uh, it's like uh, Columbia, Maryland. So it's just yep. like trees and suburbs. Yeah, I'm very familiar with um, Howard County. You know what's crazy? Like oh, I sure. learned all about um, Maryland and Baltimore geography from watching The Wire. Bro, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna clown me right now, but like I never, I've still never seen The Wire in its entirety, like. <laughs> which is crazy because I, I i you would think like i'm from there yeah. like i should but um but how is, is it is it the greatest show ever made i mean it's not the greatest you know i'm not in a position to say it's the greatest but in my book in my opinion you know is h is one of hbo's you know top three i would say um the wire in no particular order the wire sopranos and you know, my personal favorite was the Deuce, just because um, I was close to the story. And oh, word, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm fucking up. I, I need to I need to get get through all the three of those shows. That's dope. But in but in the wire, they go outside of outside of Baltimore proper. I didn't know that. They they like explore the suburbs a little bit. Um, one of the main characters, Michael, um, in season four, he dropped off his brother. And um in Howard County at his aunt house while he went back to the hood. So that's how I know. Like I know Howard County, um, Hagerstown. I know that there's a jail in Hagerstown. That's wild. Yeah, Yeah. they really, they they hit the authenticity. That's crazy. Yeah, and even even the streets in West Baltimore, like people really think that that I spent time out there, but I'm like, no, I just watched The Wire. (laughs) That's crazy. That's all you need. All right, so um, can you talk about like some of your musical influences that kind of um, influenced you growing up? Yeah, man, I I, uh, I feel like the sonically, like I listened to a lot of R&B, like my parents had, you know, like Babyface, Tony Braxton. Um, you know, I was a big Brandy fan, 
big fan of like the the R&B groups like the 112 and like Jagged Edge and and all that stuff. Um, I uh, I got like the Space Jam soundtrack when I was a kid, and then I really got got deep into Seals discography, and and like it blew my mind at the time because like I love the way R&B makes you feel, like the the beats, like the way that they um, the way that everything melts together, the uniqueness that the singer always kind of finds in their voice, and then they just roll with it. Um, but like lyrically, there's something crazy about what Seal was doing that really spoke to me. Like it was just, po you know, it was like poetry basically. And it was like, you didn't have to get it. It wasn't like tailor made for like a big audience necessarily, but you could tell that there was something in it that he was just connecting with as a human. Um, and that really, that like ignited something in me. I wanted to try and like, you know, when I was writing lyrics that were terrible for horrible songs when I was a kid, I wanted to at least make it really personal and make it really tailor made for me. Um, so even among the pool of all those R&B artists, I think Seal stands out as one that was like a turning point for me. Um, you mentioned your Sonics a few minutes ago. Um, they're like, well, in my book, when I was listening to some of your music, I think I caught like a little bit of like, you know, um, early Brian McKnight and some oh, of the music. I mean, he's, he's the GOAT. Yeah. So I, I don't know if I can, I mean, that he's crazy. That's amazing. But uh I'm not an yeah, expert, but I actually, my first cool. concert was Brian McKnight. Um, I, I was a huge Brian McKnight fan when I was a kid. Uh, but uh, yeah, him and like, uh, I think his club, his, one of his, I feel like Brian Michael Cox too, on behind the scenes, was like instrumental to that kind of like ballad type of vibe. Um, and he just wasn't afraid to be vulnerable too, you know? And I feel like that spoke to a lot of people. Like whenever somebody does something like, that is just not conventional, you know, that, that people mm -hmm. just haven't necessarily seen before that makes people say like, oh, you know, I didn't know I wanted to hear this or I didn't know I needed this kind of album right now. But now that I have it, it's really different and, I, and it's special to me and it speaks to something in me that I wasn't able to, uh, to find in mainstream culture before. You know, I feel like that's always really special. You know, and Brian Knight, he's a big hoop guy too. Like, um, like one of these days, I think I'm gonna, have him on the podcast and you know start talking some shit to him about beating him one on one. Like, but how's your game? <laughs> That's crazy. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, he goes to the Cavs game all the time. Oh shit! Interesting. Yeah. That's cool. But how's your game though? Terrible, man. Absolutely <laughs> terrible. I. Uh, it's funny because I, I was I was looking at at some of your uh, the episodes. I saw you had Muggsy Muggsy Bogues yeah. on, and when I first. When I was a kid, um, going to like basketball camps, uh, Muggsy had this basketball camp um, that he like taught, like he like he hosted it, and and I was so excited to do it. And my parents were excited for me too because when I was growing up, I was I was like a really quiet kid. I'm still kind of quiet, but I was like really just kind of um, I was just quiet, you know. And I was really short. I was like four foot tall. Like basically, it felt like I was four feet through high school, you know. So I just um, I didn't necessarily see myself, you know, ever being like a, you know, being able to actually play basketball, but to, to be at a camp and to see someone like Muggsy kind of like emphasize the importance of like strengths and weaknesses and like finding your strengths and like emphasizing your strengths and then not worrying too much about your weaknesses or like patting them when you can or like not being afraid to ask for help or be a supporting character. Um, or in like the importance of teamwork, that whole thing, I feel like was really like if basketball played any role in my life as like a player, like me at that camp with Muggsy learning those values, I think had more of an impact in my life than anything else. Um, yep. I never was going to be able to play, play basketball for the world. I'm just, I'm just a guy who watches and, and complains. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and Muggsy, he's from um, East Baltimore. So like, I, so yeah. I can see how, um, how that kind of, how he kind of um, related to you or you related to him a little bit. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's like, it's, it's, a, it's a huge important message. It's like, don't, don't beat yourself up. Don't kick yourself when you're down, like focus on what you can do and try to do it to the best of your ability and, and like find your own niche. And that obviously crossed over into to music, you know, a lot, especially, you know, for, for my music, that's not necessarily mainstream. Um, and it's just a little different, you know, so. It really, it really spoke to me. 
right so like you spent some time in nyc you went to nyu for a bit like can you talk about how being in our city cultivated your sound or like kind of helped mature your sound as an artist yeah i feel like um you know comparison isn't isn't good obviously but like i feel like being able to put myself up against uh people who are actually the best really helped me out you know when i was I grew up in, in Columbia, Maryland, so it was like the suburbs. And uh, music to me, like, I would just make little things as therapy and, and like record it on like a USB mic on my on my computer and like send it to my friends and then they send it back and be like, yo, this is trash. Or like maybe one song they'd be like, yeah, this is kind of, this is kind of dope. But, you know, it was never, I was never making it for like, um, uh, to like make it like the biggest song in the country or something like that, you know? And then when I got to NYU, uh, I met all these other kids who were, and um, they each had their own set of strengths, their own set of weaknesses, and they were, you know, they were like navigating where they fit in in the music industry. Like the music industry, like phrase became kind of like front and center to everything. So um, I, I had to like really look at what I was making, and I got a lot of criticism constantly. So I just kind of assumed that I would never necessarily be in like the music industry, that I would just never be able to make music. Uh, that was like for the masses like that. And uh, I just focused on trying to make my stuff sound as close to how I pictured it in my head as possible. You know, I feel like when I was making music, um, you know, back in Maryland, it was kind of like, you would do it and you would just make it. And then you wouldn't, you wouldn't worry about how it sounded next to like a record that had been released on like, you know, some label or like next to people that were, uh, making things not necessarily that were on pop radio, but just making things that millions of people were enjoying, you know? So when I got to NYU, it was like the competition stepped up, you know? And um, being able to really like critically look at what I was making and, and say, okay, how can I improve this? Or like, how can I make this lyric feel more personal to me? And like, how, how can I make it all flow in a better way? Like, what can I do to make this seem like it's a, uh, it was like a quality control thing, you know? Like, how can I, instill that quality control within myself and being able to be up against so many talented kids and being in, thrown into like a big city coming from the suburbs. I mean, like, I can't imagine what I would be like if I hadn't had that experience. I probably wouldn't be talking to you now for sure. Cause there was just not that, um, it's just like a completely different world from my bubble. Did like being in New York kind of like make it easier for you to like get your music out there despite all the credit, despite all the criticism because like you can just take the train and just go to, you know, Def Jam or one of the labels just to, and hopefully like catch somebody outside and try to get them to listen to your stuff. Did you like ever do stuff like that on your come up? Yeah, yeah I tried it, man. And, but it's, um, yeah, for the longest time, like everybody's like, oh, it's who you know, you know, you gotta know the right people. So I definitely had tons of moments, like, especially in my freshman year, at college, I was like, okay, I gotta be, I gotta be networking. I gotta try and go to every party. I gotta like shake hands with people. Um, the songwriting thing among the students was big. Like people were trying to talk their way into like songwriting sessions and, you know, uh, they would always be hosted by like a label. So you would go to like Def Jam or you'd go to like some other universal label and they would have like camps and some students would be in the mix. So I tried to do that too, but um, it, there was a point where it just didn't feel like it was 100% like genuine, you know, it just kind of felt like, I'm not even trying to tie this in on purpose, but it almost goes back to the strengths and weaknesses thing. Like it didn't feel like that was a strength of mine, you know, it felt like what, what made me make the best thing is not necessarily being out and shaking hands with people. And then when it comes time for them to be like, hey, so what do you have? Like, I don't have anything, you know, I don't have any music or, or anything like that. So um, it was a, uh, it was a learning experience, but it also just through trial and error, it taught me that I needed to really like focus on what I wanted to do and try to put 100% of the energy into that. I, I even remember one time in my dorm, I had like, um, I had like this little like mic set up that I, that I built like in my closet or something with like a bunch of like blankets and things. And I would like make beats and like write like hooks to the songs and just have students come through and record. And then halfway through that, I was like, I can't, I can't do this. Like, this is not, I can't put a hundred percent of my energy into this one thing. But then having done that, I realized that I could do that for myself, you know? So it was like a lot of little puzzle pieces that kind of correspond to how everybody, you know, moves in their adolescence and like 
eventually like gets exposed to like something bigger and like starts to slowly figure out what they want to do and where they fit in in the world. You know, um, when did when did you have your moment when when you basically said like fuck the critics and and um, you just went like full blown into the music and then like when did you have that I made it moment? That's a tough one. I think I had like a couple moments, but like the ones that stand out is I was working at this management company in uh, in Brooklyn, like off of the uh, what was it? it was like off of the first stop in the L, I guess like off the Bedford stop. Um, but then I had to like walk all the way down across. Um, I guess it wasn't a bridge, but I walked all the way down Bedford, like up near the coast, you know, oh, it was in- like. In Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, yeah. yeah it was yeah. like, I had to get off and then it was like a 15 minute walk. So I did that walk, you know, every day for like a year. And it was a management company and they had like a studio in the basement and they were like a pop management company. And I was working there and I was like, um, you know, I'm gonna, there's another mistake too. Like not working there specifically, but like being that naive, you know, just, I was like, I'm gonna work there and eventually they're gonna manage me and then I'm gonna be able to make my own thing, so. Obviously, I'd work at the company and then just record whatever I wanted, you know, when nobody was looking. And eventually, I just had this moment where, like, I just I just could feel like I wasn't doing what I wanted to do and I wasn't getting to where I needed to be. And I had all this music uh, from recording in that in that management spot, but it didn't seem like anybody there was taking me seriously. And then I met somebody in the street who was like a songwriter who, who was under that management company. And I was like, hey, man, like, we should write together sometime. He was like, haha, yeah, maybe like when you get signed one day, like, yeah, then maybe we'll do it. And I was like, man, like, this is just not working out. Like, this is just not, it feels like everything is like, it feels like I'm going about this the wrong way. I Like, I felt like I was, I was most authentically me and doing things that were most connected to what was going to get me somewhere when I was just making the music that I wanted to make. Uh, in that studio. So I wanted to try and figure out how I could do that all the time. So my other homie at the time who uh, was, um, I think he was like producing four people who were under that management company. Uh, his name was Felix. He and I just started making a bunch of records like in his apartment. Um, and just like, we both had this kind of attitude of like, you know, we don't really fit in and like, we're not trying to be, the, we're not trying to uh get into like the pop industry or anything like that. We're not trying to go somewhere where it feels like we're not wanted, you know, we just want to make something that feels good to us. So we just started making like tons of tons of music just in this apartment. And it was like the weirdest shit. We pull influences from like um, this guy, How to Dress Well at the time was like this R&B artist who was like very ambient, you know? And I would just like pull things from his sound and we'd make this kind of ambient stuff. And then I would pull like some uh, like beats from old R&B that I really liked. And then the lyrics would just be like angry, like channeling all all the energy from from all like the criticism, and it would it would be like me just unleash, you know, in this stuff. And we we built up this arsenal of work, and then eventually we both were like, "Fuck it, we're gonna move to to Los Angeles, and we're, we're we, you know we're done with with New York." Um, and uh, you know, listening back to some of that stuff on the train, like I remember there was this one song that I put out that was on my first EP called Zebra. And it was a song called If It Hurts. And it was just like this, this straight up ambient, like seal meets like Inya or some shit, you know, type of thing. And I just remember feeling like, yeah, this, this, I connect more with this than I've connected with anything else um, in the city. And uh, I feel like that was like the biggest turning point where I was like, all I need to do is make 100% uh, galant music all the time, what I want to make and uh, find some way to get it out to the people who want to listen to that type of stuff and not worry about anybody who is, uh, you know, on in between, like not worry about the executives and not worry about what's popping right now, not worry about like the haters, just kind of do whatever I, I feel at, at that moment. Um, and then on top of that, uh, I got like an Oreo McFlurry from, from McDonald's one day and I went down into the subway and like the wind came and just blew all the dirt into the sub, into the, um, into the McFlurry. And I was so mad, bro. Like, I feel like, <laughs> I feel like <laughs> it was, it was confirmation that I did not, that I gave it a try, that New York is the greatest city in the world, I think, in my opinion, but it just was not for me. Like, I just had to, I had to move on in order to hundred uh, percent fall into 
the person and the artist that I was supposed to be. So figuring all that stuff out at the same time and moving to to Los Angeles with with my producer friend who made my first EP in its entirety was was the biggest turning point I think in my music career. All right, so from like Zebra to your current um, joint Neptune, like how have you grown like as an artist and as a person from like from your time in New York to like the time up until now? Man, I mean, uh, I think Zebra was like me completely unfiltered, you know? And uh, like sonically, like everything, I was just, I was like taking Polaroids of the way that I felt and I was just putting it out, out there and there was a lot of anger and, you know, it was like dark and brooding. And then when I got to LA, <clears throat> And I started to get like a small audience just off of that EP and started doing shows around the area. Um, I like started to like meet people that felt more like-minded, you know, not necessarily just because it was LA, but it was because it was built off of a relationship where they already saw what I was doing and they saw the kind of music I was making. And that spoke to them and they wanted to figure out how to amplify it. You know, it just felt like we were, I was meeting people more on the same page. Uh, so then I started doing shows around the area and started like doing some more like collaboration things. And then I started working on uh, my debut album, which which I called Ology. Um, right. And uh, it uh, it was like, it was less filtered, you know? It was, um, or I don't wanna say, it wasn't less filtered in terms of like the lyrics, but like sonically, the vo my voice was less filtered. Like it was a little bit clearer. Um, I was kind of like letting people hear what I was, what I was writing a little bit more. Um, I like collaborated with Janae Aiko on a song and, and put it on the record and started to kind of like craft like a more, uh, I would say like matured version of the stuff that I was making when I was in college, you know? And, and that like, when I saw that that could speak to a ton of people and I could like, you know, do tours off of that around the world. And um, I brought up Seal earlier, he and I like collaborated a bunch. I brought him out on a bunch of live shows uh, for that project specifically. When I saw that it had that kind of, that it, I was, it was capable of having like a, that kind of reach beyond just like small pockets of the internet. I feel like it, it made me believe in, in just my individuality even more. You know, it made me just like a writer has a story to tell and then, and they're like, okay, let me try. I want to pitch this show to the network, but it's nothing like what the network's been making. You know, I'm sure The Wire, for example, was not an easy show to pitch because it was before HBO has completely dominated everything. You know, it was like they were about to enter that golden age. Um, so it wasn't like there was a bunch of, you know, gritty TV shows like that, um, just all over the place with network television being, being at the top. So um, it was kind of like that moment to me. Like I knew that there was an audience out there that I could tap into that was you know, a bigger scale that could take me around the world, that could like show up at my shows, that could have me play Coachella. Like, it just felt like there was something bigger that I could that I could speak to. It just gave me like a lot of confidence to 100% stay honest, 100% make the kind of music that makes me feel good. Uh, even if it's just trying to be therapeutic for myself, like not worry about pleasing too many other people. And, uh, and it, it made me uh, worry less about my weaknesses and just focus on my strengths. You know, Coachella has been on my to-do list for a few years now, but the pandemic and how that setup kind of changed all of that. <laughs> yeah, bro. I mean, like, it's it's crazy. I'm even. Do you do you think we're gonna be be back in live show stuff like later this year, or you think it's gonna be like next year? Probably 22, maybe 22, going yeah. going into 23. Oh, into 22. Shit, man. Yeah, I feel like you're right. It's, it's tough, man. I, I almost, part of me thinks that people are gonna be like cautious too, getting back into it, but then, but but I don't know. I mean, maybe once people get the vaccine, they're gonna be like, fuck it, we're ready to, to pack out a you know, football field again. Nah, not me. I ain't messing around with the vaccine either. Oh, you're afraid of that? You, you don't wanna, you don't trust the vaccine? Nah, I'm gonna I'm let my homeboys get it first and then <laughs> I'm going to see how they moving after a while and then I'll get it. But I feel you, man. I feel bad saying this, but like, like I know the vaccine is, is probably all good, but it, it does. Uh, I, I hate saying this, but like the fact that the elderly are getting it and like, like my grandmother got it and stuff like the fact that they're doing good, not that they should be the guinea pigs for anything, but like the fact that 
it didn't affect them in a negative way. It definitely gives me some confidence, but I feel you. Like, I'm definitely, I'm glad that we're not like the first people ever to get the vaccine. All right, so um, like, what was your inspiration for relapse? Like, I like the visuals that you used in the video. It was simple, but, oh, at, but at the same time, like the visuals spoke like so much volumes and it added like such a dramatic flair to the vid. Thanks, bro. I, um, I feel like I, I wanted to put out, I, I had this other song that I put out from, from the project Neptune called Comeback. And I, I always kind of thought of, of comeback and relapse as like yin and yang kind of, but like uh-huh. two sides that I kind of really wanted to, um, to dive deeper into, especially after, uh, you know, breaking up, splitting with my label um, and, uh, you know, kind of starting this whole project independent. And um, I guess like visually, I kind of just wanted to do the same thing, you know, come back on the one hand was like a visual that I wrote a treatment for that I always wanted to make something that was kind of like funny, something that had like CGI in it, something that like had explosions. Uh, And then a song that was like completely referential to, you know, early 2000s where I could kind of just that that like made you feel like you were listening to something happy even if it wasn't in relapse i wanted to make something that felt like nostalgic uh slow and somber something that probably wouldn't like fit in necessarily to to what a lot of people are listening to but was just would just be its own thing and then visually i just wanted to do like home footage almost you know so um and even like the hand i just wanted to like i wrote my own lyrics just on like a like an ipad and just made that the the visual like i just kind of wanted I didn't ever want to like feel like I was fully compromising or like, you know, doing too much of the same thing. So I just felt like having those two joints next to each other, doing two completely different things that were both under the umbrella of what I wanted to make with the project would be like the best way to, to approach it. Uh, That's dope, man. Thank you. I'm glad you liked that, that joint. You know, in a weird way, like relapse kind of made me think of Amy Winehouse and her style and her style. That's kind of, nostalgic and that kind of took me back to like well i'm not that old but like the 70s and the 60s but but oh, yeah shit. like yeah but it kind of remind me of amy winehouse and and um all the demons that she faced so so yeah yeah, yeah i wish i wish that word relapse wasn't so heavy for, for amy but yeah i mean yeah it's a, t- it's a tough one man but um but that's dope i'm glad i'm glad i spoke to you like that all right, so um, and you mentioned comeback earlier. Like, to me, it kind of reminded me of you know the R and B from when I was in high school, like two thousand two, two thousand three. Um, do you remember that song by Smiles and Smiles and South Star? They had like one hit. They were like a one hit wonder. Shit, but, no, I don't remember how. Uh, but that, but that comeback kind of reminded me of um, one of their songs. That's dope. Do you do you remember any of the lyrics from that from that song? I'm trying to trying to think. Nah. Of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's all good. I'll look it up when we, when we get off. Yeah. Yeah. But that's tight, man. That 2002 is definitely the that was the name of the song before I called it comeback. So that's that's dope. Oh yeah. 2002 vibes. They had the, facts, man. 2002 vibes all over. Like I wanted to whip out the do rag and a dope. <laughs> And like the two fitted caps on top of it, like facing different directions. I nah, like. nah, back then I was more of a do-rag and a headband guy. Mm. I wasn't really rocking the, the um, fitteds like that. I love that shit. <laughs> All right, so um, can you talk about like, what was it like creating an EP in the midst of a pandemic? Did, um, did the pandemic kind of give you more like creative freedom since everybody was at home? So like you was basically stuck like, basically doing your work basically. Yeah, man, I mean, I, at the beginning of 2020, like I was on tour for my, my second album. And um, I think I was in, uh, I had this weird thing about like, I didn't ever want to cancel like a tour again because I, I had to cancel a tour in 2018 on some bullshit. And, um, and it just really hurt me. I felt, you know, I just felt like it was just disappointing, you know? So I didn't want to have to go through that again. And, and when I got word, in Toronto, like on stage that everything was gonna be shut down again. Um, I was like, I was just, I was bummed out, man. Like, and I had been fighting with my label a little bit. Um, it, it was just a lot of things, you know, happening at once. It was it was tough for me to like kind of 
reconcile all that stuff. So um, I feel like in hindsight, now that I'm looking back to that process, I think that I was trying to distract myself, you know, in any way that I possibly could. But I know when I was writing it, when I was making it, I didn't want to make it like a quarantine project. Um, like I, I didn't want to do any animated stuff. Like I, I wanted it to be something that could come out a year later. You know, I didn't want it to come out a year later. I wanted to release it that year, but like I wanted it to feel like an actual, like a proper EP, you know? Um, but it was actually great to be off the road and like not be, not be touring and to just completely re-immerse myself into just the creative. You know, one of the challenges <clears throat> when I was on my, on a, on my label um, was trying to agree on like the priorities, you know, like where the money should be spent, like what resources should have more focus in, than others, you know, it was just a struggle, you know, by no fault of their own, it's just the way labels are set up, obviously, it's like everything has to be Lion King out of the gate for some labels, you know, it, they're not always willing to like make Atlantis the best it can be, you know, or make like Treasure Planet the coolest movie it could be, you know, so um, it was, it was a push and pull, I just wanted to focus 100% on creative quality first, so uh, you know, I like, I think at the beginning of the pandemic, I think I was watching like archival footage from the eighties, just like a bunch of random shit, like, um, like the American music Awards in like 87. And like, I think they had all the years on archive.org for some reason. So I just went through all that shit just to see if there's any like one hit wonders, just like the one you mentioned, but like in a time where I just wasn't paying that much attention, you know, that I could like grab something from. Um, and it was just a really creative time, you know, so I, I feel like now that it's, you know, basically done and I'm, I'm looking back on everything, like I'm really grateful that I had that period of time as I'm sure a lot of creators are to like zero in on that, that creation. But like, yeah, man, I, I was definitely trying to just distract myself from like facing reality and, and not really knowing what I was, what, I, what the fuck I was going to do, to be honest. Like, <laughs> I didn't know if, if anything was going to work out um, the way it did. So um, I'm just grateful that I have something that I can immerse myself into whenever times get tough like that. Um, what was it like working with Brandy? Cause I seen she was on the album on Dynamite. Yeah, yeah man, she, that, I feel like, um, you know, that's a collaboration I've wanted to do since I was like eight years old, you know? So that, it, to see that happen is, is, is really crazy to me, especially in this time, you know, and, to, and right after I separated from my label, you know, getting refocusing my sound and everything. Um, I definitely didn't expect it to happen at all. You know, I've been talking about how, how, uh, you know, how great Brandy is and like, you know, just random interviews and stuff. And I've seen like her fan pages and stuff, like repost things that I said. And I feel like somehow it slowly got an effect and her manager, um, uh, I, I remember I bumped into him one day in Encino and he was talking to me about the song and I was like, oh shit. Like I was almost surprised. Um, and uh, he was just like, yeah, Brandy loves the song. And, um, and I just, I never met Brandy, you know, and I, I just didn't have a relationship with her at all, even though I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan. So I just didn't think that that was actually gonna happen. You know, I was more focused on like the relationship thing and people that I, that I knew. Um, so when, when I got the word that she like had the studio booked and everything and she was uh, going in and she was gonna do a verse cause she loved the song, I was, uh, I was like taken aback. You know, it, it's, it's, it's a blessing to have her on the project. And um, I always knew I wanted that song to have a different perspective. And like, I listen back to that shit like at least twice a day because I can't believe that uh, that it happened. But but I love that. I love that, Julie. I'm glad she got on. You know, I listened to Julie a, a few times today. And when I listened to it, oh, you know, I caught vibes of Alicia Keys from um, A Woman's Worth from what was the name of that album? Songs yeah. in A Minor. Yeah, songs like, in A Minor. Yeah. Yes. Was That's that crazy. the sound that was that the sound that you was going for? It's crazy that you say that because, like, I feel I was listening to a lot of a lot of Alicia Keys, like off that album uh, "Trouble." I think is the name of it. Had it has this weird quality to it, where like you can tell she, you can tell she produced the whole album herself because it just feels like that kind of insulated vibe. Um. But like, yeah, a, a woman's worth and like, I think her cover of Prince, the how, how Come You Don't Call Me, it definitely has that like funk element, but not in a cliche way, you know? So that's great. I, I wasn't thinking about that off the, off the top when I was making it, but you're right, man. Like it definitely, that's crazy that you say that. 
I feel like maybe I, I channeled that a lot more. It's not yeah. as good as her album, obviously, not even close, but like I, I love I love the sound that she had on on that project. And um Angie Stone too. I mean, no, not Angie Stone. Um, oh, what was it? Macy Gray? Like I caught some vibes from well, not on Julie, but just throughout the EP. Bro, that's a huge compliment. From her. Uh yeah, that's that's a huge compliment, bro. Thank you. I'm a, I'm a huge Macy Gray fan. That's crazy. I was actually they had like uh uh there was a show on Nickelodeon as told by Ginger. And like I always I never used to watch that actual show because it just didn't feel like it was like I just wasn't in the demographic or whatever. But I always whenever it came on, I used to listen to that theme song. And it was I think it was Macy Gray right after she had um her big hit. Um and and like she she like she's so unique and weird, you know, like almost back to the seal thing too. It's like people will call it R and B because they're black, but it's its own thing, bro. And the lyrics are their own thing. I, I love that shit. All right, so like I kind of want to transition to hoop, man. Um, I'm curious to know, like, on a scale of one to ten, like, how's your hatred for Wizards head coach Scott Brooks? Like, do you hate him more? Than like the people at your old label. <laughs> I think I'm more frustrated with the GM. I, I'm frustrated with Scotty Brooks for sure, but like I think the GM, especially when they did that big trade, like shit, it might be two seasons ago now. Like I thought when they had um when they had like Sadaransky, when they had Kelly Oubre, when they had uh Markeith Morris, when they had um they still have Wagner. And I think he came in later, but they had like a group of people, Otto Porter, before he went to the Bulls, like they had like a roster that had promise that I felt like they could build around. And then I remember the season after that, John Wall was like out for a bit. I like John Wall, but I don't think he fits into the modern Wizards, you know, and I'm glad I was happy that they did that trade. Yeah, because I think he's a great player. I just don't think that the style of like getting the ball and then like running as fast as you can and then playing hard in the paint works out for the pieces that they have in the team you know I think Bradley Beal is just like he's a smarter he's a smarter player in terms of like being able to adapt to the different pieces that they might happen to have you know you can find Bradley Beal wherever and you can make something work if the supporting cast is like willing to move the pieces to fight the defense of the other team and I just felt like they had a really good thing going and then they started doing all these trades that I just didn't really get like I just didn't understand what they were going for or what the goal was and um that frustrated me more than anything because it was like it felt like they didn't want to win like it felt like they did not care if they wanted if they won or not and then even with the latest trade like i was de- i was definitely like on instagram talking shit and i was like we're back like the wizards are <laughs> like we're back in it we got westbrook like we're chilling but um but even seeing that and then seeing how frustrated like like bradley and and, and russell are like i just feel like there's a culture problem and I feel like that comes from the GM I, I think I think Scott does his best but I, I think the GM is, is the biggest thing you it's know, like he my, doesn't watch the game in my opinion you know my, <laughs> like, my main thing about Scotty Brooks is his rotations it just seemed like he just picks random names out of the hat definitely and you're right it just 100%. throws them in 100% <laughs> that definitely so, adds to it but if he had good pieces at the beginning to begin with you could see how he might make some adjustments, but that adds to the culture being being a little fucked up. You know, like um, a lot of Wizards fans, like they're all over Westbrook, but to me, he's he's doing all right. He's averaging, you know, twenty nine and nine. I mean, yeah, there's there's only so much that he can do. I think people are just yeah, exactly. I agree. And Westbrook's the type of player too. Like I feel like he's not he's not always going to be accurate. He's not always going to be like you know, the most consistent, but he's always going to try to do, he's going to try to get the job done. And I feel like they might just be expecting something a little bit different than what he's actually there for. But like my perfect team is like Bradley Beal, not frustrated, ready to like play his role. Russell Westbrook, like always getting the team in the right mindset and being ready to like, he has that like willpower fire that I feel like is really necessary too. And then the rest of the cast, like being able to adapt and, and support. And I just... I don't know if that's gonna happen with the way with the way that everything just feels, you know, mentally right now. But I got hope. 
you know, there's been a lot of rumors about Bradley Bill that he should be traded or you yeah, know, I know. they want. I feel like stay. if that, I feel like if that happens, then I might have to, I might have to give up even harder for like a little bit. Like I've already given up, but like, <laughs> like he obviously doesn't want to be there. You know, he knows, he knows what it is. Um, I don't know where he would. Yeah, I don't know where he would go. I mean. You know what might be a good trade? Um, I'm not sure if the salaries match up, but Bradley Bill for New York's favorite son, Porzingis. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think you can debate on what that does for the Wizards, but <laughs> for, I mean, yeah, for, 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 Brett, for Bradley, that might be, that might be nice actually. And in line with like, where what his goals are because you can tell he wants to you can tell he wants to take the lead and he wants to be he wants to earn some respect and people definitely need to put more respect on his name than he's than he's being given you um, know um i want to thank you for joining us today um i really enjoyed this conversation i heard the album yesterday is dope um when oh, can we ex when can we expect it uh, it's gonna be first of all. That, damn, this was this went by fast. I, I was like ready to, to keep talking, but uh, oh yeah, it, they're uh, telling me to wrap up right now. Oh, for real? We we can keep. I mean, we can keep talking. If, oh, all right, cool. If you're cool with it, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the EP is coming out March uh, March 26th. Um, it's coming up. Yeah, yeah, March 26th. All right, so um, let's get back to the Wizards. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> So, so yeah. do you think people were saying that because I do I, I watch like a ton of Lakers games too and um I guess I'm a Lakers fan I, I, since I uh you know since I, I've I've given up hope on the Wizards but there's no way that Bradley's gonna go to the go to the Lakers right I saw they cleared up some cash space but like I, I think that would be first of all I don't think that could happen and then B I don't think that would necessarily be a good fit I think that would be like a little bit jumbled and they run into the same issues as like the Clippers and that kind of thing. Hey man, you have to um stick it out. Like I've been a Knicks fan my whole life and you know I just all I know is disappointment. <laughs> so so you just have to um stick it out. I feel you man. I'll uh, yeah even if even if I'm not going to every game anymore or even if I'm not like on league pass with at every game because it seems like the culture is fucked uh, I'm definitely gonna be there. There's gonna be a place in my heart for the Wizards, so I hope they I hope they find their way back. But they gotta they gotta want to get there. Like the the GMs gotta want to make the right moves and not just get whoever's like maybe kind of hot at a time and then let go of all their other pieces that were building and forming like an actual working synergy. You know, it's like. I mean, like who is like your favorite? Um, like which era of Wizards basketball you like? The Gilbert Arenas. Um era or like the era like after he left after he shot up a lot when John Wall came <laughs> yeah I uh that's tough man I actually got to say like I'm, I'm still holding out for the future you know like the Wizards I feel like um I wasn't really like around in the Bullets era like that much but um I was really I remember being really proud when like you know Jordan went to the Wizards even though it didn't work out like, and I remember going to like a decent amount of games when I was a kid and I, I vaguely remember the big deal of the name change and everything, but it's really like a hometown, uh, like pride thing for me. You know, I just always want to see my hometown win, but I definitely just, yeah, I got to say post, but I definitely, uh, I definitely think that their best years are ahead of them. You know, you want to hear crazy I'd story? Like yeah. I was in LA. On this sake, 2019, I went with my cousin to go visit somebody that was locked up, right? Mm -hmm. So we're waiting behind the glass. I see all, all the inmates walking back and forward. And lo and behold, it's former Wizards, Javaris Critton. I see oh, in the background. That's crazy. And I was like, man. <laughs> <laughs> What what was the uh, I don't know how tall you are, but what was the I feel like every time I, I see like an NBA player, like I always I don't know if I expect them to be as tall as they are, but like oh, nah, I'm always blown away by 
Yeah, dude, it's crazy. Like even the even the people on TV, like the short, even like the shorter ones. Like I feel like, like I met Westbrook like backstage one time, and it's like I always underestimate like just how fucking tall you gotta be. Like that's what makes <laughs> the whole Muggsy thing even more impressive. Like most of the time, yeah. if I cover games, like I wear Tim's just to make up the height difference. But even that, <laughs> so I'm like, well, if they if they sitting down. If we're sitting down, like people can't really tell. But if we're like standing up, mm. I'm like, man. Yeah, like, you're like stilts. You're like, like the stilts. Like, like the only players I'm tall off off the top of my head, I think is Chris Paul. Oh yeah. And well, how maybe, he's still how tall is Chris Paul? He's still like six. He's like one. six feet even, like because I'm six one and I'm taller than him. Got you, got you. So yeah. Damn. So yeah, so like Chris Paul is the only one I could think of off the top of my head. The rest of them, I'm like, like even Nate Robinson. A few years ago, I was when he was here with the Knicks, I was covering the game, and I thought I was gonna like not dwarf him, but at least be taller than him. I'm like, he was about the same size. But damn, that's crazy. Shit, hey, I'm definitely not six one, so. But uh, but speaking of that, who do you who do you got in the? Um, I know you're a Knicks fan, but you you must be like watching some of the Nets games, though, right? Yeah, I, I'm responsible for both teams, so tight. So yeah, I try not to like fan out because you know I can't really do that. But you know, I'm happy for both. Like the petty side, any kind of want to see the Nets pull a Clippers and and really? kind of like kind of choke. <laughs> but, dead ass though bro like the second that the the news broke about Harden um that's exactly what I thought was gonna happen I was like I've seen this before like it just it, you need more than just like one season of gelling time to make even if you have like the best players in the world like they need to they need to have synergy otherwise it's just not it's gonna fall apart I, I did not expect Harden to be like a good addition like especially culturally and I'm not I'm not the biggest Harden fan too. I think like he, like I just think he, he he like chokes under pressure. So I just didn't think adding him to the mix would would be as great as it is. But like, I don't. I think it's almost a surefire uh, scenario to see like them in the in the finals. And I hope it's them in the Lakers in the finals. I think that would be just such a classic matchup. Oh, just just wait if um they make it to the East Finals. You know, don't be surprised. Game seven. Nets and let's say the Bucks or whoever. Oh yeah, I definitely. Yeah, don't be surprised. Harden might shoot two for sixteen, eight turnovers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but still, yeah, with the especially if Durant. I mean, I know Durant hasn't been playing that that much right now, but I I, I assume he's gonna he's gonna be back full force after the break. So, assuming all that stuff works out, I just think. Yeah. And who says Kyrie's gonna be there? He might just. Just say, might decide I'm not gonna play again, like he did earlier. That's true. So that's true. But even with that, like as long as as long as Durant's there, I think I think they'll be they'll be in good shape. I'm I am I'm surprised you said the Bucks though for some reason. I feel like I just didn't understand what happened last season. So I I just wasn't kind of I was even putting more stock in like Miami to be honest. Just like I'm a Jimmy Butler fan, and I just kind of like the the like spirit that he plays with like it reminds me of like what LeBron does you know with the Cavs what he did with the Cavs and stuff like just the willpower to be like even if I have no help I'm gonna I'm gonna like push through um but uh but yeah I guess it, I guess it is more likely what about the what about the Sixers I mean they're yeah. playing they're playing their best ball but um there's just something about Doc Rivers and close games and He's True. basically like the coach, the coaching version of James Harden. <laughs> yeah, I feel that actually. Yeah. That's that's actually a good point. Yeah, like Boston, they're, they're still talking about that 08 championship. Like, like move on already. I that's was awesome. just I was telling that to Michael Bivens. Like, I know I'm a Knicks guy and I can't really talk about titles, but shit, at least we're not bragging about that that 73 championship. Exactly. Exactly. That's that's a good point. All right. But, uh, so um, before we go, I want I want to show you these dudes, smiles, and um, I think that was a good name. 
Hold on, how you share the screen? Screen, screen, screen. Oh, yeah. All right. These dudes, I know you've seen them before. That's crazy. It looks, it looks kind of familiar, but I can't say I, I remember. They had like one hit from like the first half of 2002, that whole summer. Damn, tell me, shit. Yeah, they made, hold on. I'm yeah, not that, sure if the, if the thing gonna play, if the audio gonna play through. Oh, so <laughs> Yo, this video is crazy. <laughs> the weirdest shit, bro. I, it sounds kind of familiar, but like I can't say it rings a bell at all. I don't know how I yeah. missed this this record. That's crazy. Yeah. You had to be there. Basically. <laughs> it was just, just one of them. I thought I was there. That's crazy. Maybe maybe it was just slightly before. Like I get. It. Was, I don't know. It's crazy. Yeah, like they was hot from like June of '02 to about August of '02. Damn, got you. Yeah, maybe yeah, I was yeah. asleep during that period of time. <laughs> That's yeah. crazy. Then after that, I just never heard it. I never heard of them again after that. Yeah, I love I love that like one hit wonder type of thing. Like I feel like. It had such a, a different meaning back in the day. Like it was like yeah. the record you, company was making millions and millions and millions of dollars off that shit. And it was a one hit wonder. You see the headband over the door. Yeah, I was about to say yeah, the headband and those <laughs> jeans. I used to have like South Pole jeans that looked just like that in high school. Like the giant fucking shit that you had to like hold yeah. up <laughs> like all through class. <laughs> oh man. So yeah, man, good times, good times. Yeah, that's just amazing. All right, man. So, like, I want to thank you for for coming on. I really do appreciate it. Of course, man. I appreciate it too. Really?